you also have your superhero identity doing <laughs> RPG bot stuff during the night and uh, during the day, doing a lot of just leadership work now in your technology job. On top of that, it sounds like you are assembling a team for RPG bot. You've got folks that are coming in and, and writing content. And, you know, I know you have uh, Imperial Conquest plans and <laughs> expansion plans. So, like, what, how's that transition been for you as your your passion project is taking on legs? Yeah, I'm going to be honest. Uh, it has been terrifying. Welcome, everybody, back to Building Better Games. Today, we have Tyler from RPGBot.net, and we're really excited to dig in with him today because, as is the case with many game developers out there, there's a lot of crossover with board games and tabletop games, and Tyler himself is an expert from the tabletop world and is building awesome stuff as a creator in that space, and we can't wait to talk to him more about all the craziness that's going on. So without further ado, I'm going to kick it over to Tyler to do a quick introduction. Thanks for joining us, Tyler. Thanks for having me. So my name is Tyler Kamstra. I'm the founder of RPGBot.net and the primary author. It's a site dedicated to tabletop RPGs primarily. If you're familiar with games like Dungeons & Dragons and Pathfinder, we spend a lot of time writing about those games, how to get more out of the games, and we're especially known for character optimization. So we dig really deep into mechanics, uh, deep analysis, like looking at the rules, looking at how things work mechanically, and how to get the most out of your game by leaning into those concepts. So, you know, we obviously have more of a video game, PC game um, background as developers and players, but um, we've always played uh, board games. You know, I, I was telling you the other day, Tyler, how, you know, during lunch and at breaks and after work at Riot Games, you know, folks would have their D&D groups and be playing board games. There's a lot of kind of kindred spirit going on there, but I think that the translation layer between the two has been really, really interesting to watch over the last 10 years. I think because I grew up with both different identities, like, you know, playing D&D or old Palladium RPG campaigns with my buddies when I was a kid versus playing video games separately. And now, you know, the lines are starting to blur a little bit. Baldur's Gate 3 is obviously one of these kind of like, again, examples of like a third party kind of publishing thing that's sort of, you know, related to the universe. And like a lot of folks love those games and versus, you know, your roll 20s and these the tools that are advancing in the digital, I guess it's just a, it's a suite of tools more or less that and information that help pen and paper players just get access to more expedient solutions for pen and paper. And it's interesting. It's like, it gets really confusing to know like which space you're in. What's the difference nowadays? And I mean, there are obvious differences, right? Like there's no, there's no dungeon master when you're playing <laughs> Baldur's Gate, right? And uh, that changes a lot right there. I'm wondering like what that relationship is between the two spaces from your perspective and what are you seeing there and the trends there? So you're absolutely right. There's a ton of overlap there. Um, a lot of people who play tabletop RPGs are the same people playing video games. Like it's not quite a circle, but it's a very small Venn diagram. A lot of people who work on video games will occasionally take those skills into the tabletop gaming space and 
build things using that. I know there are a few virtual tabletops who are run by people who used to be game developers. So a lot of those skills translate very naturally. Unfortunately, most of the people who are writing software for tabletop games are trying to be the next big virtual tabletop. Everybody wants to unseat Roll20, and there's not enough people like building tools to solve other problems. As I hear you talking about this, and I've thought about this a good bit on my own too, it really feels like a product manager's nightmare, (laughs) honestly, because like, and, and again, I... I look at the products that are being created in this space and the way people talk about it. And I often, on a bad day, I'm like, you're completely disconnected with the needs of your user and you don't understand what you're trying to do. On a good day, I'm like, there's five different valid arguments for how to solve this problem. And there's probably not a clear right answer right now. And the process of figuring that out is really, really difficult. In my brain, as a PC gamer, I go, well, if you can automate dice rolling and automate like a bunch of the basic functions of tabletop, like that's always a good thing, 100% of the time. But again, as I hear you saying that, I'm like, is that true? So what what do you think? What comes up for you as I say all that nonsense? I'm going to give you a frustrating non-answer. The the opinions are many, varied, and often very loud. (laughs) Um, There are... A lot of people who play virtually who still use physical dice because the the satisfaction of rolling a nice pair of dice, it it adds something to the experience that virtual dice mm. just simply can't replicate. Mm-hmm. Plus, um, dice are very pretty. A lot of people like to collect them, myself included, um, and they can be very expensive. So like, if you're accumulating all of these fancy, pretty expensive dice, dang it, I want to roll that when I'm playing. I'm not going to I'm not going to spend $5 on a JPEG of dice rolling. What are, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and then there are people who use dice roller apps when they play physically in person. And like both of those answers are perfectly fine. If you're building a virtual tabletop, should you have the ability to roll virtual dice? Yes. Should you be locked into rolling virtual dice? No. Because if I if I come into whatever the roll twenty competitor is and it says like you must roll dice using our thing for all of the buttons to push themselves, like I'm I'm just not gonna use this. I'm gonna go use mm-hmm. something else where I can roll my uh my click clack math rocks all by myself. So you also play PC games. Yes. What is something that you think the pen and paper side could learn from digital that they're not, even as they try to like bridge the gap? And vice versa. Is there anything that you see like, man, I don't see any video games that are capturing this that's so present in tabletop or pen and paper? It is difficult for me to offer an answer that someone smarter than me hasn't already figured out. Uh, The inspiration between video games and tabletop RPGs has gone back and forth for decades, like far before I was born. If you've played the original Final Fantasy, like Final Fantasy 1, it is very clearly they tried to turn Tons of the Dragons into a video game. And like there, there are so many games like that that are just like, okay, this is very clearly trying to be Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. There are direct video game adaptations of tabletop RPGs, uh, Vampire the Masquerade, mm-hmm. obviously Dungeons and Dragons, like the Baldur's Gate series, Neverwinter Nights, like those are D&D games. Yeah, one of the things that strikes me is um, there's several major genres of games that all have their own struggles and successes, but that like inspirationally, the idea that like I can have more mastery over my environment, the idea that my actions 
have an impact on the things around me. The idea that like I can make my own character who represents some personality or some style that I'm really excited about, like the more control and more sort of RPG-esque decision-making to me feels very inspired from original tabletop RPGs. There's moments that I'll probably remember for the rest of my life where just that I'll just start laughing when I think about, or I'll, I'll feel a bunch of joy about like, that was the confluence of four or five human brains coming together in storytelling. I think people are, game developers are trying to understand like what makes these survival games so interesting. The survival genre blown up in the last like five or six years. I think it's those moments you create a sandbox and then those emergent moments that happen are what creates memories that almost can surpass. It like almost doesn't even matter how crappy the game is. If you can create those moments, uh, people will keep coming back. And that's a very new idea. I still think relatively new in video games. Yeah. There's it related to Daisy. I remember it, almost the crappiness was part of the flavor <laughs> uh, when it first came out. Right. And it was still the mod on armor two and whatever. And I remember thinking about it because I was like, why, why is it that I got online with a group of friends or family and I spent like six hours playing this game? And the thing I, I just remember coming back to that idea of narrative, like story, it was, it was, it's a game about, it doesn't matter that I spent 16 hours and my character ended up dead in a ditch um, <laughs> because I was walking down some stairs and the game glitched out and I broke both legs and just bled out before anybody could do anything or something, you know, like you just, anything could happen. But it was that while that was going on, when something happened, I was like, I'll play for six hours to have the 15 minutes when it got really fun when we encountered the other group and we weren't sure if we were going to shoot each other. And then someone started shooting and then how did we all respond? So they're, they're games about like about emerging stories and being a part of that. Um, and yeah, I think that's huge draw to the pen and paper side. It's just like we're collaborating to tell a story. Absolutely. And that collaborative emergent storytelling like that is very much the heart and the core concept of tabletop rpgs like video games will get close they can get close like but you can't there yeah like you guys said with current technology there is no way for a machine to match the creativity of you and four or five of your best friends sitting around a table coming up with some nonsense let's um dig into a little bit more of your leadership journey, Tyler. I'm really um, curious because I know you also have your superhero identity doing <laughs> RPG bot stuff during the, the night and uh, during the day, um, doing a lot of leadership work now in your technology job. On top of that, it sounds like you are assembling a team for RPG bot. You've got folks that are coming in and, and writing content and, you know, I know you have uh, Imperial Conquest plans and <laughs> expansion plans. So, like, what, how's that transition been for you as your your passion project is taking on legs? I'm going to be honest. Uh, it has been terrifying. <laughs> I have done RPG Bot for so many years as a completely solo project. The people I have writing for the site now are some of my, like, best and closest friends for years and years, people have always been surprised to find out that RPG Bot was mostly a solo operation. So, so this is very much new space for me. Uh, I, I actually went back and listened to your guys' episode on scaling as a leader and found that hugely informative. So yeah, I, I'm learning more and more to take my hands off of things and like let 
let the people who are working with me do their jobs and like i i still edit everything like i am still the last line on quality control like i have to push the button that says publish mm -hmm. um, but having other people do a lot of the writing means that i can create more of the things that i love more quickly and get them to the people who want to read them more quickly without sacrificing that quality but i'm also having to deal with like different people's schedules, personal conflicts between people, things like that, that you never have to think about when it's just you. Yeah. So a lot of this is uh, new and scary and confusing. I am curious around leadership as you dive into it from multiple places, right? You've got the RPGbot.net, you've got your work. What's an area of leadership that you've struggled with that is just like ah like you know my my personality and this don't align and i'm having to to some extent adjust who i am and how i show up i know this about myself i am very bad about giving people negative feedback uh, mm. <laughs> like i i work very very hard to make all of the feedback i give people constructive and actionable i'm super great on code reviews like it give me your code and i'll tell you like this isn't quite right. Here's how to improve this. Here are some good examples. Like that's that's very actionable. But if it's just like you're doing this thing that's bothering people and you need to stop, like mm. I sometimes have trouble delivering that feedback, um, and that has uh, that has come back to bite me. Hmm. Um, <laughs> so I'm working on that as a person. Like that's not exclusive to being a leader as a person. Like sometimes stuff that affects how I lead is just like, this is who I am as a person. And I know I need to improve that. Yeah. I know there's a lot of growing that I need to do as a person and as a leader. And I'm trying to do that in a hurry. Ben and I talk a lot about it is there's the actual exercise of delivering feedback in the moment that could be over after an hour or it could be over after a day or whatever. And then there's like the environment within which feedback exists, mm -hmm. which is at least as important mm -hmm. as the point of delivery. Yeah. So like one of the things that came up for me is like, you were like, ah, oh, it's so tough to give tough feedback. And it's interesting. I actually feel like right now our society and work culture is trending towards that being more true every day right now. Like I might get shot for saying this, but I feel like we're all a little bit more sensitive than we were like four or five years ago even. And that just changes the dynamic, right? That changes like the point where somebody pulls you aside and was like, whoa, that was a little harsh. That point is sooner now. And so then it's like, well, how do we do that? And, and I, I've often felt that building a culture where you get that stuff out in the open more often is like the only way to do it and how you do that matters too. Um, ben and I think have referenced this, but we used to do this little like round table thing with one of the teams we worked together on where we would get together and you, we each took turns being in the hot seat. <laughs> and when you were in the hot seat, you were not allowed to talk. And everyone else on the team just started rattling off any feedback stream of consciousness that came to their minds, things that might sting and things that might feel good. All you were allowed to do is take notes. And in the first couple of those sessions we did were extremely uncomfortable for everyone involved. Like you had like somebody who was delivering, just not saying anything bad because they just didn't want to in front of the group. It was just too uncomfortable. And then you'd feel the person's face contorting as somebody was giving them some really tough feedback and they weren't allowed to talk. They weren't allowed to respond. 
But like over time, it just gets more normalized to the point where, and the more normalized it is, the easier it is to actually have the conversation. So you're almost like forging the sword, just like water, heat, water, heat, water, heat. And then after a while, it doesn't hurt so much. And that's just something that off the top of my head that that came to mind. And it's just like, I feel like no one, especially in corporate America, talks about this stuff right now at all. So When I think about that, there, there's like, there's three things that are important. And I think we focus on, as is so common, the least important. We focus on the form of the feedback. Did you like put it in the right, whether it's the old style, now debunked, sort of compliment sandwich thing. The poop or, sandwich or yeah, whatever they say. Yeah. Um, or, and then Aaron, you were talking about environment. And for me, one of the, the, the like fundamental level was, Hey, does this person trust you? And you could, you could include that in the environment, Yeah. but is there a good relationship? Is there trust and respect? You don't even have to like each other necessarily. That's not required for a good relationship, but do you have a, a good, healthy working relationship where trust and respect are present? If that's not true, if the environment's beautiful and your form is perfect, it doesn't matter because they're going to see it through a negative lens of your relationship. And, you know, same thing, you can have like the perfect form and feedback and it'll help. I'm not saying it's worthless, but if the environment doesn't support that or encourage that, and if the relationship isn't present, it's going to be a disaster. Whereas if all you have is a really strong relationship, even if the environment and the form is terrible, like Aaron and I have had some where literally we've given feedback that was something like, Dude, I, I feel bad, right? Like, and it's, and it, that sounds so comical and silly and not useful. But if the relationship is there for the other person to go, okay, like, tell me more, right? I want to know why, why you felt bad. What's going on for you? Let's look into it. You can actually get somewhere off of that horrible, bad form start, or even like, I, you're doing this wrong. Like, oh, okay, well, that <laughs> broke all the rules, right? But if you're if you have trust and respect, and if you are in like again a good relationship, feedback is possible. <laughs> What's surprising you about transitioning with your business to a more group, like a leader of group function? What's surprising you about that? I'm surprised by how much fun it is. Kind of like I'm very lucky. Like I'm doing something that I absolutely love with some of my favorite people, and just getting to getting to discuss things and bounce ideas off of other people to help each other refine what we're creating. Like, it's so much fun. Like, I wake up looking forward to it every day and, like, I have to go to the day job first. But, you know, (laughs) (laughs) my community is embracing it. We brought on uh, another writer just a couple weeks ago named Rocco. He wrote his first article for the site and we published it. And the response was immediately like, hey, this guy's content is really cool. When do we get to see more of it? And when do we get to learn more about him? So it's like, I was scared that change would be bad. And I was scared that like my community would be like, eh, it's not as good as yours. Like, let's keep this to just Tyler. But no, like the content is still good. It still fits alongside everything else that's there. So the community has been very, very welcoming and receptive. Again, I I said this earlier, but it means we get to do more of the things I love faster. So yeah, our readers get more stuff to read. We get to put out more content. Everybody's having fun. Yeah, it's great. I want to ask you, what is like a key professional leadership learning point for you? Like maybe for me, I don't know, everybody's different. For me, those tend to come off the end of catastrophic meltdowns (laughs) or failures. 
Um, the, the big ones as they stick out usually are at the end of like, oh, I screwed that up pretty bad. Do you have a story like that that uh, you'd be willing to tell of like where you had kind of a big turnaround or a big aha moment after a maybe a pretty nasty bite the dust situation? So you said uh, a lot of your learnings come off of like having a catastrophic event happen. Be that catastrophic event. And think of any system that you use at work, like uh, your project management process, your quality assessment process, like your your code review process, any of those things. Have someone break them. Have someone be that catastrophic event that causes that thing to fall over. Very frequently, you can look at a system and like this is this is an instinct that I've refined with years of character optimization. Very frequently, you can look at a system and say like, hey, there's a very obvious flaw here and any amount of pressure is going to cause it to collapse. As soon as you see that, apply that pressure, break it. Because if you don't break it right away, that process is going to break when you are least able to handle it breaking. Your deployment pipeline is going to go down because somebody merged bad code and like the code review missed it or something. Your only scrum master is going to take a week-long vacation and everything's going to catch fire while they're gone. Like all of those, all of those points of weakness and failure in your process, like look for them, have someone break them and improve the process based on that. I do that a lot, both in tabletop RPGs where I'm like, oh yeah, uh, here's this problem case. We need to find a solution for this and agree to it at our table or like everything's going to fall apart. Those those points of weakness in your process and in your systems, like red teaming for security is basically the same concept. You have somebody come in and poke at all the vulnerabilities and see what breaks, but like doing it for security is not enough. Your process is more brittle than you think. And unless you have somebody try to break it for you, you don't know where those vulnerabilities are until it's a problem. Yeah, I hear a courage there, like a like leadership courage. It's like a leadership point. There's another world where we just, leadership is actually about sweeping things under the rug, right? Where it's about ignoring problems until they the house is burning down. And because it's, you know, it's eating the candy bar instead of going to the gym, right? Basically, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's short, short term versus long term. And um, I think that that's really cool that you're thinking about the system there. You're like, hey, the system, the health of the overall system is important. And as a leader, I want to lift that up, bring visibility to that. So come in and break my shit, you know, <laughs> like let's let's figure out what works and doesn't work. And if something doesn't work, we'll fix it. Now, from a position of strength, I think that's really, there's a lot of wisdom in that. So let's dig into your journey with RPG Bot. How did you create the thing, the community, the site, all of that? How, how the <laughs> hell did you end up in a place where you were running this gigantic community? It started like late in the fourth edition D&D era. I was playing Pathfinder at the time, and I... I originally built the site to build automated tools for tabletop RPGs, which is actually how I came up with the name RPG Bot. Mm. It's not some some clever love of robots or anything, but that has grown over time. <laughs> <laughs> Your love of robots has grown over time? Yeah. Or? Who doesn't love a good <laughs> robot? <laughs> so I named it because I was planning to build automated tools. And like I did a couple of those. And then uh, I started getting really into character optimization around the same time. And the 
community doing character optimization primarily posts that work in forum posts and Google documents. And the problem with doing things that way is if you don't own the platform where you're distributing your content, you don't own your content and your content can go away. So I saw that and a lot of the guides were basically written once and never updated. So I thought, okay, I can build a better mousetrap here. I happened to already have a website where I uh, where I could do these things. So I started writing and things grew from there. And then a couple years into running RPG Bot, a lot of the major tabletop RPG forums that had been big for years and years and years all started getting taken down. So like a decade plus of character optimization content just vanished overnight. <laughs> and uh, basically all that was left was Google Docs, which no one could find, uh, a handful of works from people like Chris Honkala on YouTube and then me. So just by merit of keeping things up to date and keeping things in a medium where I could control, RPG Bot was positioned to have a lot of the best uh, character optimization content. And I've continued working on it over the years. I've expanded a whole lot. When 5th edition D&D came out, I started writing on that immediately. Pathfinder 2nd edition came out a couple of years ago, did the same thing. So just making constant improvements and having it all be accessible, you know, free, worldwide, easy to find has mm -hmm. made it very, you know, very useful for the player base. Why do you think the average person shows showed up? Was it for the tools or the character optimization stuff? Definitely the character optimization stuff. At the time, at the time, my character optimization stuff was much better than the tools I was building. Um, I was building everything online in JavaScript, and like this is the day, and these were the days when jQuery DOM manipulation was still the way you built a fancy web application. Technology has come so far since then, mm. and we actually have gotten back into building automated tools. So we've got a couple of really great things: uh, random treasure generators. Um, Back in October, we created this thing called the Monsterizer, which is a, a monster building tool for 5th edition D&D. But people do primarily know us for just that text character optimization content. And like, I didn't put a lot of time into marketing it for the first several years. So people were finding it just by like Google search and word of mouth, essentially. What role does it play today, uh, brass tacks in the tabletop? space like there's a lot of people going there for information like what how would you describe that role people come to us when they want help understanding the mechanical aspects of the game so very simplest case is i am building a character i have the choice between two options i'm not sure which one makes more sense for me mm -hmm. i'm going to check rpg bot get an informed opinion and then use that to make my own decisions so Having that information available in plain English in a way that makes a lot of sense and which is based in a deep understanding of the mechanics of the game means that you can make those decisions quickly and easily mm -hmm. without needing to spend hours poring over hundreds of pages of books to figure out the information for yourself. There's something about a short loop there, I feel like, and you've touched on this a couple times. You want somebody to be able to go here and quickly get as like short time to information or value from that information. Go give it a shot and get back to your game, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and 
part of that is I want, yeah, like I want things to be accessible quickly. I have spent a huge amount of time making the site run quickly, like from a technical perspective, because a lot of people play in places where your cell phone reception isn't great or you might not have mm. Wi-Fi. Mm. The first couple of years I was writing RPG Bot, my regular game was in a basement with like half a bar of cell phone reception. So if I wanted to get to my own website, it had to be lightning fast, like very small mm. amount of data, all those things. So yeah, even those small touches like that are intended, like you need the information, you're going to find it real fast. It's going to be easy to understand in just a second, like pull out your phone, peek at a thing real quick, you're good to go. What's the new information that's coming to you from the ether, from the universe about like how people's needs in the space are developing or what the ecosystem is looking like and how it's growing? Like what, what takeaways do you have these days? Let's see, there's a lot of people still finding the site for the first time. There's a lot of people still finding the games for the first time. Two-thirds of the people who visit RPGBot are return users, which means a third of the people coming to the site are seeing it for the first time. And those might be people who are new to just new to the site. These might be people who've never played Dungeons & Dragons before, and some of the most trafficked stuff on the site is actually our how-to-play section. So... Knowing that it's not just like the same static community of people doing character optimization for years and years, like this, this is a growing hobby. This is a growing interest. And the mm -hmm. number and types of people who are becoming interested in our content is growing over time as we get bigger. Like people who are less enthusiastic about character optimization still get a lot out of the content because they can still look for problems. They can still look for like, I, I want to make my character fit those trappings, but I also, I don't want to suck. If you were to say, here's an area I might expand RPG bot into in the future, is your answer anything? Uh, good questions. Okay, so things we want to expand into. So we just started doing the podcast back in the fall. So that's, um, that is a new thing for us and people are really, really enthusiastic about it. Was that a request from your player base or was that something you all just realized like, hey, we're kind of experts at this. Maybe it would be valuable for the people showing up to the site. Definitely the latter. Um, okay. As we do the podcast, because on the podcast, our primary focus is tabletop RPG mechanics and understanding the mechanics of other RPGs outside of Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder is very informative. And you can, mm. you can very frequently like look at some other RPG, just rip a chunk out of it and bring it home to your favorite game. And it works great, but you have to know mm. that those pieces exist. Mm. Like, it's not like a video game where like, okay, I'm playing Skyrim and I want, uh, like, I want to run on walls like I can in Titanfall. You can't just like go rip that chunk out of Titanfall and drop it into Skyrim. It's way more work. Interesting. But, I never thought about that. Yeah, tabletop RPGs, it's all imagination. So you can just say like, all right, I just have to adapt this to the dice system I'm using and then it's fine. Yeah, um, that's awesome. <laughs> Well, Tyler, thanks so much for joining us today. I had a blast uh, mm -hmm. getting to know you a little bit more and hearing all your awesome takes on the game's world and everything that you're doing uh, with RPG Bot. And uh, maybe we'll talk again soon. Yeah, I, well, I've had a great time. Thanks for having me, guys. If this episode helped you today, please take a moment right now to rate or review us wherever you're listening. Your support will help us bring you even more awesome content.